This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello everyone, welcome back to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host Jason Kim and today's episode will be a little different. The audio quality is a little different because I'm using a different mic and I'm not recording it in the same room I usually do. I'm out in public in a in a WeWork office. And so yeah, so those are a little bit of updates I need to let you know. So for this episode, I want to specifically talk about three players, which are Jamie Vardy, N'Golo Conte, and Mikel Antonio. Those three players have something, they all have something in common, which is that they've all obviously played at lower level of football, then they made their way up and now are playing, you know, Premier League football for good clubs. And how their path to where they are now is the unconventional route. It's like the Cinderella story where they were nobodies and disregarded and forgotten and not even scouted or paid attention to, to being household names in Premier League soccer. You know, it's it's, it's an impressive story all of them have. And the one thing that they all have in common is they have legitimate life experiences outside of soccer, and it seems to influence the way they approach the game, the way they understand the game, the way they, the way they are as people. They're all very genuine, honest people, and that's why they're so popular, and that's why people love them, especially on social media. So let's start with Jamie Vardy. Oh, yeah, one thing. I won't spend too much time on their life stories. I'm just going to give you, I guess... Wikipedia highlights, if you will, because the point is, is not to retell the story, but just to point out a, a theme that happens with all of them. So with Jamie Vardy, he started out in the Sheffield Wednesday Youth Academy, and then he was later released, and then he played for non-league sides. While playing for non-league sides, he was getting paid 30 pounds a week. 30 bucks a week. It's, it's, that's nothing. That's nothing. And he worked as a technician making medical splints on the side. So, of course, if you have if you're being paid 30 bucks a week, <laughs> that's crazy. But anyway, so you're getting paid 30 bucks a week and you have a job on the side. You're just like a normal person. The reason why I say 30 pounds is crazy. I mean, you can't make a living off that obviously, but as someone who's played soccer at amateur level my entire life, the idea of someone paying me 30 bucks a week just to play soccer, I would take that. That's amazing. I will of course, why wouldn't you? I'm getting paid to do what I love. And I imagine that's what Jimmy Vardy felt. You know, he was like, yeah, of course, I still want to play soccer. I still want to ma- want to make my way up to the Premier League. You got to start somewhere. And then yada, yada, yada. Next thing you know, he gets scouted by Leicester City. And then two years later, he wins a Premier League in 2015-2016 with the greatest Premier League win of all time was done by Leicester City. We can go on and say, talk about Liverpool winning the Premier League like seven weeks ahead of schedule, like 20 points ahead of anyone else, whatever. That was expected because Liverpool was just undeniable. But with Leicester City this season, the odds were against them, 3,000 to 1. They weren't supposed to win. If anything, people thought they they might get relegated. I remember people on YouTube putting Leicester City in the relegation battle. And it's funny how, when I think back at it, it's funny how Leicester City won because of an Eden Hazard goal. Eden Hazard scored a goal against Tottenham, and Tottenham was, I think... Very cl- was right behind Leicester City by two points or something like that. Eden Hazard was having the worst season of his career. The only goal he scored that entire season was not only a beautiful goal against Tottenham, but it was the goal that effectively knocked Tottenham out of the title race, giving the Premier League to Leicester City. 
that's a side story for those who didn't know but that was it's just amazing it's it's an incredible story incredible season but that season what made it even more incredible was that Jamie Vardy was breaking records he scored in 11 consecutive games he broke Ruud van Nistelrooy's record making him Premier League player of the year that season so you have a guy who played essentially non-league amateur football to becoming the best player of the season breaking Ruud van Nistelrooy's record for those who don't know that's like a perhaps the last best Dutch striker like so far Iron Robin's not really a striker Schneider's not a striker um, Van der Vaart is not a striker Klaasian Huntelaar you could say but he's not the same level as Ruud van Nistelrooy so you have this non-league player who beats the record of one of the Netherlands best strikers ever who played for Manchester United Real Madrid think about that you had a nobody who was making splints at some factory to becoming the best player of the season in the Premier League. That's incredible. That's insane. And he was also the top goal scorer of the Premier League. Like, and now this season, or last season rather, he was the top goal scorer of the Premier League in 2019-2020. That, again, like, this guy's amazing. Like, he's, he's, he's great. And not only is he great, he's he has a genuine personality. What you see on social media or in interviews or in different YouTube videos of him being candid. Like, he's just a genuine guy. He's the kind of guy you'll find at any soccer field someone who's really good at banter who just loves to play who's not only aggressive but wears his heart on the sleeves and just loves the game and anyway, i personally i'm a huge fan of jamie vardy i think he's i think he's hilarious i think he's great i think if i was a manager of any club i would love to have a player like him because i assume and i imagine he is such a great influence in the dressing room and he admits to drinking like like two red bulls in the morning or something like that it's as if he's still working at the it's as if he's still working that splint making job in Sheffield or something like it's <laughs> you can really tell that the guy hasn't changed since his days in amateur and that's what makes it amazing because everyone anyone who's like me who plays amateur soccer and who sometimes fantasizes of being a pro player you'd imagine you'd be the same person once you get there but once the money comes rolling and the ego steps in you we all become different people obviously but anyway and now next is Jamie Vardy's teammate at Leicester City, which is N'Golo Kante. N'Golo Kante is, from what I've gathered, apparently one of the nicest people that you could ever meet. <laughs> but everything, everything I gathered seemed like he was such a nice guy. Him too has he has he has an incredible story. He went from like the third division to the second or first division. But even when he played at the first division in the Ligue 1 in France. He didn't wasn't necessarily playing for the top teams. The teams that he did play for was Boulogne and later Caen or Caen or Caen. I think it's Caen. That's how they say it in France. And then he was later signed by Leicester City. When he signed on to Leicester City, I think he was still playing second division football in France. So he pretty much jumped from second division football in France. And let's be honest, French football, even at the first division, is not the same as Premier League soccer or Serie A soccer or La Liga, because it's it's not the same. It's just different. And then the Premier League being arguably the best league in the world right now, so he's jumping from a second division league that's okay to like the best. You know what I mean? And next thing you know, he wins the league with Leicester City, and that's incredibly impressive, given the fact that he's a French player that's never played for, that's never gone through the French football academy at Clairefontaine. For those who don't know, Clairefontaine football academy is France's elite premier soccer school that if you go to Clairefontaine you're gonna be a professional player 
not just be a professional player, the odds might be that you might become the next best thing. Kylian Mbappe and Paul Pogba came out of Clairefontaine, so it says a lot about that academy. And yet, Angola Conte has never been there. He's actually, in fact, been rejected from that football academy. I guess they, I think they said he was just too small and too skinny or something like that. I think they said he was just like not big enough that he would get destroyed by the taller, bigger players. And yet, he's the reason why Leicester City won the league. A lot of people would say, well, Jamie Vardy's performance is kind of one of the main reasons why they won the league. But all the all of my friends who have very good soccer opinions, who have very good soccer sense, at that time, all to- all pointed towards N'Golo Conte, saying he's the reason why they've won. Jamie Vardy gets all the headlines and made Leicester City very popular, but functionally, N'Golo Conte is the reason why they've won. Notably, this was at a time when people were realizing that holding midfielders were actually winning you games. If you have a holding midfielder that can also score goals on occasion or has the technique to shooting on target, you have a winning team. Look at every club that's been very successful in a short period of time, relatively speaking. Like around Madrid, the one thing that made them so good and was able to win the treble was not only because of Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo being a beast, but rather... It's because of their holding midfielder, Casemiro, being a very important piece. Not to say that he's the one that carried the team, but he's the one that creates the transition from defense to attack. He's the first line of the defense and the first one to start the attack. But that's not because it's Casemiro, but it's mostly because the nature of his position of being a holding midfielder. And today's game, you want holding midfielders that can play the ball well, that that, that can dribble well, that's comfortable on the ball, that can also tackle. The game is far more demanding nowadays. To me, a good example of a very good holding midfielder that could do all of that is Sergio Busquets at his prime. He had a, definitely had a lot of help with Xavi and Yesen next to him. But I mean, with those midfield three, like why wouldn't you want that midfield three? But what Sergio Busquets, he's someone who could pass the ball, defend really well. He's very good at dribbling. Now, bring it back to N'Golo Kante. He's faster than Busquets. He's stronger than Busquets. Has a, he has better stability, better balance because he's he's a, he's a shorter guy and. And he's strong, and he's like he—he's a full package. And Golo Kante is truly a full package. You know, if there's any player on the midfield that I want defending Messi, it'd be Kante because he could do it. He could get that job done. And I remember this one game, well, this one game in 2019 when Liverpool was playing Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Liverpool nearly lost that game, and the reason why they nearly lost that game is because they subbed on Chelsea subbed on Golo Kante and like. The second half and then the game immediately changed in Chelsea's favor Liverpool still won but N'Golo Conte made the difference for Chelsea and he was playing holding midfield so there's something about the holding midfield position that just makes or breaks a game depending who plays that position for Leicester City him being at the holding midfield all the time was just is what they needed because he's a guy who doesn't stop working he keeps on working hard on the field off the field everything as you can tell I'm a huge fan of him but you know not for nothing, France won the World Cup because you have someone like him who can mark Messi. Then you also have someone like him who's unafraid to do the dirty work while other players don't want to be doing the dirty work. You know, tracking back, putting in the hard tackle, sprinting and running all the time. He's a guy who will do it. And that that's why I like him. He's just a great player. And the, and the fact that he got rejected and unidentified in France for so long is kind of a crime because he's such a talent. He's so good. There's probably a lot of legitimate reasons as to why he never got discovered in France. But you know what? It is what it is. He's won the World Cup. Who's complaining? 
And lastly, Mikel Antonio. I got to see him play at West Ham. Uh, he's much bigger in person. Like he's taller. Like, like he looks like a kind of guy who could play American football or who could play rugby. He's like you know pretty big guy. So according to Wikipedia, he's played for eight different clubs, either on loan or on transfer. And usually when you see guys who play for a lot of different clubs at a short period of time, it's often not a good look. I mean, we all know what that means is that he can never settle in or fit into one particular club, so they got to send him off, which often indicates that the player is just probably not good enough. Not in terms of technique or skill, but in terms of adaptability, perhaps. Or maybe he's just not good enough for any club he finds himself in. Who knows? But like Vardy, he worked his way to the top, and now he's playing for West Ham. I... There's so many interviews you can find on YouTube where he talks about his days playing for non-league football and what it was like to sort of slowly make his way up to the top. And it kind of sounded like, from what I remember, was it was just one thing after another. He didn't really think it would make it all the way to West Ham. He just thought, okay, I'm just going to keep playing, keep working hard, and then maybe next year I get to play at a higher level team. And then slowly and surely scouts discover him and he gets uh, he gets picked up by West Ham United. Even at West Ham, he's become somewhat of a cult hero. Well, one, his celebrations are hilarious. He does a Homer Simpson celebration where he like spins around the floor. And he could also play multiple positions. He could play striker, left mid, right mid. I've seen him play fullback a couple of times or wingback. I've seen him play center mid, I think. And he's like James Milner. And, and what I mean by that is he doesn't seem to have an ego where he would throw a hissy fit if he's being asked to play fullback. He seems like the kind of guy that understands and values the importance of first-team football, being in the first starting 11 all the time, because that's how you want to be as a pro player. So in a way, I see a guy who says, I'd rather play than play my normal position. I just want to play. To me, that's, indic- that's indicative of someone who works hard, who understands, his, who understands their role and they're self-aware, or rather, they are self-aware of the role in the club. I don't watch a lot of West Ham, so maybe he was playing all these different positions because of injuries or they just needed someone to fill in the slot. That is most likely the case. But I think a fan of any club should be grateful to find a player that's willing to do the dirty work, willing to do the things that no one else would like to do. And with Antonio, I I think what makes him likable is definitely his personality. Like Vardy, Conte is a little quiet, but Vardy's and, and, and Antonio are both genuine people it comes they come across as very honest genuine people in interviews and on social media you can tell that these guys are what they say is truly what they're thinking this personality of just being themselves and being honest and specifically just being genuine i think that has a lot to do with the fact that what players like Conte, Antonio, or Vardy is that they still remembered what it was like to be broke you know they still remember what it's like to just be a normal person in their 20s you know what i mean like they all had side jobs for sure they played soccer at night and went to school or probably had a job in the daytime i think ngolo Conte was a construction worker or a carpenter in france before playing professional soccer or while playing league league trois league deux football or whatever you know and you know which brings me to the conversation of money because these guys I mean, yeah, Jamie Vardy was in the Sheffield Wednesday Youth Academy, so maybe his parents paid for it, and maybe he got scouted by them and then signed a contract with them as a as a teenager. Who knows? But, uh, I mean, you can look it up, but I decided not to. Because the point is, is that they all started non-league, lower-league soccer, and then they made their way to the top. They worked their way to the top. And when you know how soccer is like the industry today... It's expensive to get into youth academies. You know the the reason why you hear these poor players 
joining youth academies is because they've been scouted and because they are literally the best teenager they've ever seen almost all these teenagers who get kind of like this full scholarship to join youth academies or get these contracts that they sign someone like Messi, for example is because they the scouts identify these players as like this is the best 17 year old i've seen in a long time this is the best 14 year old i've seen so far all these individual stories it means that for scouts they thought they were worth the investment every penny because that's how that's how good they are but for the average player that's really good that could still make it pro a lot of it had to do with um money when you see how much it costs to send your kids to youth academy it's a lot of money the psg youth academy in montreal they set up a youth academy here it's like 700 bucks to be just for the winter session or for the winter semester or whatever valencia used to have one here but i think that closed barcelona had a youth academy here i don't know if it's still around the Montreal Impact Youth Academy, I think it's about the same price, maybe 500 maybe a little cheaper. I think Chelsea also has some youth programs around here. There's a lot of soccer youth programs in Montreal. And the biggest one I've seen so far was, besides the Impact, was PSG. And seeing the parents that are there with the kids watching them practice. First off, if you come from a working class family, your parents won't be there to watch you practice. That was my reality. That's just a fact. And, but their parents are. And when I look at their parents, and I'm being totally prejudiced and judgmental just to by the just by the way they dress obviously and i'm very self-aware that i'm doing this but they don't look poor they all look middle to upper class they have money this is not an insult to them nor a judgment call i'm just saying this is what the sport has become that if you want if you want to become pro you better have some money or you work your ass off so you get noticed and you get the clubs to say you are worth every penny so it's like you have two options. You work really hard and you'll get noticed and you'll make it in. Or you still work very hard, but you get to skip maybe one or two steps because you have the money that could help you skip those one or two steps. What do you, so you might be asking, well, how do you know this? What do you mean by that? Let me, let me bring you to a story that happened to me at a park last summer in 2020. So the year is 2020, it's the first year of the pandemic, and we're still in lockdown, but the rules in Quebec allow us to go to parks, right, as long as we keep our distance. So it was a beautiful day, it's like May or June, it's like the first hot day of the of the summer, it was like 20 degrees Celsius. It was amazing, beautiful, clear skies, and I decided to go to a park, so I decided to go to a park near my house that, that has a really nice pitch, good nets, you know, take shots. And I decided to go do some warm-ups, some drills, just to get my body moving and kick the ball around. I get to a park, I'm doing these workouts by myself, I'm doing sprints, and I'm crossing the ball. And at some point, there's a man, he was there before I got there. He was at, he was by one of the nets, he was practicing by himself, taking shots, doing drills. And this guy's ripped, he's not wearing a t-shirt, and I just like ate pack. He's like, he looks like Hulk, that, so that Brazilian soccer player Hulk, he was just ripped. And I was thinking... Okay, this guy's ripped. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I was like, this guy's jacked as fuck. And he calls me over saying, hey, you want to pass the ball around with me? I'm like, sure, no problem. And he says, I'm going to leave soon anyway, so you get to have the net as well. I was like, oh, awesome, thanks. So we're passing the ball, doing some, you know, just light passes, whatever. And at some point, we, you know, we start talking, and then he starts picking up the pace, and he starts. we start doing drills all of a sudden. I'm passing my right, then my left, my right foot, left foot, doing both foots, and then we're doing crosses, and then we're doing keepy-uppies, and... And then at some point, we're doing a drill where I pass the ball to him off the wing. I run into the box. He crosses into me, and then I start heading it. We're doing all these, like, you know, these real soccer drills. We started talking, getting to know each other. He was like, where are you from? I'm like, you know, I'm from around here. And I asked him, 
so where are you from? And this guy, let's call him, let's call him Tony. I, I forget his real name, to be honest, but let's call him Tony. So I said, so where are you from, Tony? And he says, well, I'm born in Albania, but I lived the majority of my life in Germany. And and now I'm in Canada. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay. And you, you know, what brings you to Canada? What did you do in Germany? And he says, I used to be a professional football player in Germany. I was like, you used to play pro soccer in Germany? I was like, for what club? And he looks at me. He says, I used to play for Borussia Dortmund. I'm like, you used to play for Borussia Dortmund? He's like, yeah. And I was like, I, I couldn't believe him. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Is this guy trying to pull my leg? Whatever. And we started talking. And I said, what brings you to Canada? And he says, well, my wife's Canadian. And that's the reason why I lived in, I live in Canada. I moved to Calgary for her. And then I asked him, so what brings you to Montreal from Calgary? He says, well, Montreal, you have more job opportunities. So I want to move out here. And he, and he said, I also speak French. So why not move to Montreal? And I asked him, what do you do? He was like, well, I'm a personal trainer. And this is when I knew or I was getting a feeling that it wasn't entirely bullshit what he was saying he says i'm a professional personal trainer for soccer players in calgary then he looked at me he says do you know cavalry fc i was like yeah that's the professional team in calgary cavalry fc was only i mean i think it's been there for a while but it only became popular within the canadian soccer scene within the last year or two so this guy's already tuned into the soccer scene here so I was like, okay, so he kind of knows what he's talking about. I didn't ask him for any names of players on, on the Calvary team because I don't really know. And he told me, he's like, I've been in contact with some Montreal Impact players and I'm actually going to be working with them over the summer. I was like, oh, shit, awesome. Good for you, man. He was like, yeah. And he's saying I'm also working with some McGill soccer players from the McGill University varsity team. I was like, oh, shit, man. Like, okay, yeah, you're legit, essentially. And we got to talking and... And at some point, he says, hey, if you want any personal training, I could give you a good rate. And he gave me the rate. It was about 300 bucks. It wasn't for the hour. I think it was like 300 bucks for the session, which is like two, three hour session for 300 bucks. And I was like, that's a lot of money and I can't afford that. So I was like, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, I can't afford that. He's like, oh, you know what? No problem. I don't, I don't take it personal. And he, but what he said was, if I ever see you again on the field here, I can do more drills with you just for fun. I was like, oh, thank you. At least he offered that, which is very nice. And then he leaves. I stay on the field for another hour, and then I eventually leave. But later that day, I was meeting my friend and his girlfriend. So I asked my friend's girlfriend, who's Albanian, and I asked her about Tony, the guy I met at the field. And she was like, oh, yeah, I know him. I was like, oh, you know him? She was like, yeah, he's like my second cousin's husband or something like that. Like, she has, like, some sort of family connection with him. So I asked her, I was like, did he actually play professionally in Germany? She said, yeah, he did. He used to be a professional player in Germany. She was like, I don't know all the details about his past life in Germany but one thing's for sure I know he was definitely a professional soccer player in Germany and I thought this guy definitely want he definitely played for Borussia Dortmund and I was just kind of talking to him as if he was a normal guy when I should have probably been more like give me more info tell me give me all the techniques teach me everything but I, obviously at that point he might start charging me so who knows but when I thought about it I was like this is a guy who was playing in front of like 80 or 60,000 people every week whether he was on a starting 11 or not he was a professional player and I remember in our conversation we started talking about the youth academies this and that and the one thing he did say about the soccer industry he says you need money to become professional he looked at me he's like I'm he's telling me things from the 90s where there was less money back then too he says you need money if you want to become pro player he kind of looked at me saying like you could become pro if you had the money and I thought it was like wait really like that easy you know i've met so many soccer players better than me 
and they had money, but they never had, they never went fully pro. And that could be for whatever reason. Maybe they just weren't good enough for the pro level. Who knows? But that happened. And it, it really got me thinking how much money is so important to soccer. And it's kind of disappointing, but it is what it is. Because what he was saying was, you, you need the money to, to get to the youth academies. You need the money to be in the youth academies. You need to buy the equipment. You need to be eating the right foods. If you have free time, you should be dedicating them to going to the gym. So you need a gym membership. And he was saying, like, you need all these things if you really want to make it to the next level. It's really hard to make it to the next level with A, without the proper guidance, but also without the money. And then when you see the stories of someone like Jamie Vardy, Mikel Antonio, and Golo Conte, it's, they didn't have the money, but they made it. Granted, maybe they did have money initially, but they are where they are now. So that being said, I guess the distinction that must be made is if you want to go pro and make money from playing soccer, you have to invest X amount of money to do so. It's kind of like a gamble. It's almost like gambling. You invest X amount of money for the hope that you might become professional and make more money by playing for professional. Granted, playing soccer is, is not all about money, nor should it be all about money. Obviously, when you talk about soccer and money, you have to talk about FIFA as an organization, but that's an episode for another time. And the relation between money and FIFA is just so murky and sketchy and dirty. The John Oliver rants on FIFA is everything he feels where he says, I love the World Cup, but I hate FIFA. That's essentially what he was saying. That's kind of what every soccer player, fe- I mean, soccer fan feels. I mean, anyone who knows how FIFA does its dealings and works is, you know it's dirty, you know it's a shady organization, but you love the World Cup because it's a fucking World Cup. Anyway, that's an episode for another time. But that being said, just to play soccer, you don't need money. If you just want to play it as a, you know, just for the fun of the game, for the thrill, just, just to have fun, then who cares, right? Don't, don't think about money, just play. But if you're someone who is curious about professionalism or wants to become a pro, has even thought about becoming pro, you're going to need to invest not just your time, but you're going to have to invest some money into it as well. But that doesn't mean that money determines everything. If you're such a talent, then what you need to do is invest that money into joining a good team and maybe the rest is history. Who knows? Anyway, all this being said is that when you look at Jimmy Vardy and Golo Conte and Mikel Antonio, they all say the same thing is that they love the game. Money or not, they still love the game. They would probably in some alternate universe if they never became pro, they would probably still be playing the game with their friends at a local park. I mean, granted, when they retire from the game, that's most likely what they're going to do, is just play with their friends at an amateur level at a park. That's what Paul Scholes is doing, apparently. So to me, that says a lot about those who truly love the game and not just the money aspect or, or the fame aspect, just the people who love soccer for what it is. So anyway, that's it for season three. I hope to see you next season where... I'm going to do something a little different where I'll each episode will be dedicated to a city and the clubs that are found within those cities. And I'll sort of break it down about the stadium, the club, and whatever. And just, get, I guess, give you a profile of the different clubs you could find in certain kinds of cities. And I'll be choosing cities that I've personally visited. And not only will I be describing some of these clubs, but I'll be describing the things that you could do in the city as well if you end up traveling to these games. So once again, thank you for listening to this episode. I'm really grateful you made it to this far and hope to see you next season. My name is Jason Kim. This is Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you.